Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're uncovering the secrets to longevity, learning how to discover our personal genius type, or finding out the best tips for throwing a great gathering. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, I thought I would sit down with you and do a little solo Q&A. You all sent in a ton of questions on Instagram, and I did my absolute best to answer as many as possible. I got into a recap of my full skincare routine, including both what I do at home and what I do at the dermatologist, which is one of my most frequently asked questions, how my transition from nomad life is going, holiday questions, including my favorite traditions and movies, what I dislike most about being an influencer, my best advice for coping with job loss, my favorite housewarming presents for when you are on a budget, my best tips for keeping a healthy gut and having the best poop situation possible while traveling, what I studied in college, what makes me the most jealous and how I cope with it, and so much more. I would especially love to hear your thoughts as you're listening on this one because it's just me sharing my life and my thoughts with you. So please make it a back and forth by screenshotting and tagging me on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody. And please share it with anyone that you think it would resonate with. These solo episodes are still slightly more out of my comfort zone than my interview episodes. They feel way more vulnerable and scary, and I only want to keep doing them if you like them. So let me know. Solo apps are always my favorite as a listener of other podcasts, but it's hard to put my finger on exactly why. They just feel chatty and they pack in so much information about different topics I don't know. Anywho, let's jump right in to the first question. Can you recap the things you are doing both at home and at the derm for your skin? Yes. Let's start at home and I'll do these in order of what has made the biggest difference. The number one thing that has changed my skin is using sunscreen every single day. Rain or shine, if I'm spending a ton of time outside or not, I put on sunscreen and then I double cleanse my face in the evening to get it off. Both of those are key. The double cleansing, because especially if you're wearing sunscreen, a single cleanse isn't going to break that and any makeup down, so you'll have residue on your face, and that will make your skin look and feel worse. And then the sunscreen is both protecting any work that you are doing on your skin, and it's preventing future damage. I always find it wild when people have these intense skincare routines. They're spending all of this money on product, but they're lackadaisical about sunscreen. Truly, until you have that down, nothing else matters. I use the RMS Supernatural Radiant Serum, which is a broad-spectrum, non-nano SPF 30. I love this one because the finish is a lot less greasy than other sunscreens that I like the ingredients of. It is radiant, hence the name, but it's more glowy than shiny or greasy, if that makes sense. And that greasiness is what I often hate about sunscreens. But I personally just look for broad-spectrum, non-nano zinc sunscreens. I know there's a lot of debate about what's safe in the sunscreen world, and I'm not inherently against chemical sunscreens, but I'm also like, if I can find one that I love that's a physical filter instead of a chemical one, why not just use that? And then if I'm out a lot during the day, I will spritz on the Seriously Fab Zinc It Over sunscreen, which is amazing. It just helps fill in the spots where the sunscreen is worn off. It doesn't mess with makeup. It goes on completely clear. The ingredients are phenomenal. Again, it's non-nano zinc, so I always have that on hand. And then for my double cleanse, I use the Manyo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Pure cleansing oil. It's a Korean brand, but you can get it on Amazon. It has a super simple ingredient list. It's just a blend of oils. And I put it on dry skin. I massage it in, and then I add some water, and I massage it again, and it gets all white and a little foamy. And then I very haphazardly rinse that off, and then I wash again with Prequels Glenzer, which I am obsessed with because it is half glycerin. Like the formula is half glycerin, so it is wildly moisturizing. Glycerin is hands down my favorite humectant. I like it way more than I like hyaluronic acid. 
Also, that whole skincare line prequel was created by my personal dermatologist and former podcast guest, Dr. Samantha Ellis, and she is brilliant, and I am so happy that she has a skincare line now. Anyway, the Glenzer cleanses your skin so well, but it doesn't leave it feeling dry or tight at all. Using a silk pillowcase every night has made a huge difference in both my skin and my hair. I like the ones from Blissey because they're Ocotex certified, which means they are free of any harmful chemicals and they're ethically produced. And they also come in really fun colors. I also filter my shower water, which if you have any sort of skin irritation, I highly recommend that you do. It will make a world of difference. You should do it anyway for a ton of reasons, but if you have dry or irritated skin in the winter and you're piling on moisturizer but you haven't added a shower filter, add a shower filter. We traveled with ours during Nomad Life and we installed it at each new Airbnb. That is how important that I think that it is. I'm currently using the Aquasana one and it is really effective. I do Dr. Whitney Bowe's skin cycling routine, which is one night of an exfoliant. I use the one from her line, which is a little bit gentler. And then I also love the Chemist Confessions Gold Standard. And then the next night you do a retinol. I do prescription tretinoin. And then the next night you moisturize and you let your skin recover. So on that night, I do the Osmia Purely Simple Face Cream and a few drops of the Nectar Nourishing Serum. They're just little oil drops mixed into the face cream. It is the most hydrating combination, and it makes my skin glow. Osmia is a pod sponsor, so you can use the code LizMoody to get money off anything on their site. And Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, has actually been on the pod. So if you deal with any skin concerns like acne or eczema or dry skin, please go and listen to that episode. It has a ton of helpful tips. In the morning, I use vitamin C. The one from Dr. Whitney Bowe's skincare line is my favorite. It's really designed to maintain the potency of the vitamin C, which is the main issue with C. It is such an effective ingredient, but it goes bad before it can actually make a difference in your skin. That is actually my number one issue with the SkinCeuticals one, which is the most famous one, and I personally used it for years, but it's in this dropper bottle that exposes it to so much oxygen that you're losing potency halfway through the bottle, which sucks because it is very expensive. And then I use the Osmia face cream with the nectar drops again on top of the vitamin C, and then I use my RMS sunscreen. In general, I think that we way overcomplicate skincare, which is not our fault at all. It's because it's such a lucrative industry and people are always trying to find new ingredients to sell. But in general, if you're not struggling with any specific skin concerns, the big things that I believe you should focus on from my research, from my interviews with experts, from a product perspective are vitamin C in the morning some sort of chemical, not physical exfoliant, and some sort of tretinoin, both to be used at night but not on the same night, some type of moisturizer, and some type of sunscreen. And then if you have specific issues, I'd likely not be adding products but removing them, maybe removing the exfoliant or the tretinoin, anything that could irritate And I would be looking at things like SLS and laundry detergent, which we get into way more in that episode with Sarah. But please be wary of skincare products and skincare claims. And in general, just internalize that you likely need way less than you think. And then for in-office treatments, I do Botox and just a mini rant here. But unless you have wrinkles when your face is at rest, not when you are actively moving it, like actively lifting your eyebrows, actively smiling. You do not need Botox. You never need Botox. But the idea of preventative Botox is 100% BS, and it is just people trying to make money off of you. It is incredibly expensive. Do not do it early. There is no benefit. I also get a ton of questions about how I can preach body acceptance and self-acceptance and self-love and still get Botox. And my feelings about this are complicated, but they boil down to it is incredibly hard to be a woman in this world. We are told 
constantly, how we should look and how we should feel about how we look. And we have to live in a world where everyone else is susceptible to the same messaging, meaning that the world genuinely treats you differently if you look differently, whether the biases are conscious or unconscious. And I think putting the burden of fighting against the system on women while they already have the very real, very painful burden of living within this system every single day is a lot. It's just a lot. So I recognize that in my ideal world, I would just wake up and feel satisfied and beautiful without Botox. In my ideal world, I would likely spend a lot less time aspiring to even feel beautiful, and I'd have more time to turn my attention to the many things that I know matter far, far more, like being kind, like building good relationships, like having great conversations and being curious. But we don't live in my ideal world. So while I work toward creating that world, I am also going to get Botox and I'm going to get my hair dyed blonde, and I'm going to wear makeup, and I'm going to do a number of things that make me feel good within the world that I currently need to live in, and I am okay with that. There's a great We Can Do Hard Things episode with Gia Tolentino, who is a New Yorker writer. She's the author of Trick Mirror, which is an incredible book. And part of what they talk about in the episode is becoming comfortable with the inherent paradoxes that inevitably exist as a sheer result of us having to be people in this world. Gia talks about hating the structures of commerce and capitalism that lead to the negative parts of places like Amazon and online ordering, but still engaging in them and hating herself a little bit every single time that she does it, but doing it anyway, which I absolutely relate to. For me, I hate that I want to get Botox and also I want to get Botox. And instead of spending hours turning that around in my head, I have just accepted it. I just live with those two truths at once, and that is 100% okay. I also get laser treatments at the dermatologist, which weirdly, judging from my DMs, people seem way less conflicted about than Botox, even though both are essentially fighting off some perceived idea of what aging skin looks like. I've gotten both IPL and Fraxel, and I have really liked the results of both We go into all of the different types of dermatologist treatments and what you would use each one for in my episode with Dr. Ellis, my dermatologist. Also, did you know that you can search on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify? Like you can type in Liz Moody Dermatologist or Liz Moody Skincare and the episodes with those words in the title from my podcast will come up. It's a cool feature, and it's actually what I use when you guys DM me and ask me to find podcast links for you. So I'm just giving a heads up because I don't think that a lot of people know about it. Fraxel is also cool because it can help treat precancerous and even early-stage skin cancer cells on your skin. So it's actually helping on a functional level beyond the aesthetic effects. But I did my lasers to help with sun damage and just to help with general radiance, and both made a noticeable difference. In terms of pain, because I always get asked that too, they both felt like a sunburn for a few days after. The Fraxel was definitely more burny, but neither was uncomfortable enough to even make me want to take ibuprofen. And they numb you while you're doing it, so you barely feel it during. And I think that's my whole skincare routine. I hope that was helpful. I definitely feel like my skin is the best now that it has ever been, and that is all due to everything that I shared here. Okay, next question. Let's do, how do you feel about being in one place for a full year after nomading? I am incredibly excited to be around our community, which is the number one reason that we chose to move to the Bay Area. We have far and away the most robust community here. And I kept doing these podcast episodes where expert after expert would say that the top thing that influences our health and our happiness more than literally any other factor is our relationships. I don't know if we will have this much community in the Bay Area forever, but right now we've just reached a critical mass and it felt silly to not be taking advantage of that. I'm also excited to build a routine with local places, like to find a yoga nidra class that I really enjoy going to and make it a weekly staple. And Zach and I just started tennis lessons, which is so fun. 
I am excited to be able to buy tickets to a show in five months since I know where I will be in five months. I'm excited to do a lot more international travel. We actually cut way down on that during Nomad Life because we were paying to be in a place for a month. So it felt silly to peace out to another place in that time. And then because of all the logistics of coordinating all of that with our cat, we're really tricky. I'm excited to be able to make doctor appointments and dentist appointments and hair appointments. And I am really, really excited to get to decorate a house and also to have the things that I like in it, like my ideal mattress and pillows, blackout curtains, stuff like that. We traveled with a lot in our nomad life, but obviously nowhere near what you have when you actually live in a place. And I am so excited to have everything exactly the way that I like it. But I am also nervous. The nice thing about nomad life is that if you don't like something, whether it's a weird noise that wakes you up every night or you don't like any local restaurants or there's nothing to do or you hate the weather, whatever it is, you know that in four to six weeks you are changing that thing. That lack of being tied down was immensely helpful to my anxiety and I've had a lot of anxiety about committing to a place for a year and not liking something and then being stuck with it. I also think that nomad life is interesting because it gives a sense of motion. You feel like because your outward environment is changing, your life is changing, that you must have a sense of propulsion. But the thing is that propulsion isn't necessarily forward, and it can almost disguise a lack of true moving forward in the rest of your life and honestly inhibit that propulsion even from happening. I know that Zach and I sacrificed a certain amount of work success to do nomad life, and that is okay. I don't regret it at all, and I don't think that work success is what makes a good life. But I am excited to see what happens in our careers, in our relationships, in our self-growth when we don't have the illusion of movement from the physical movement of nomad life. And we have to create that movement, that growth within ourselves, if that makes sense. Okay, let's do are you team eggnog or no eggnog? Oh my God, no eggnog. I find it so foul. I do not get it. I'm sorry. My holiday beverage of choice is definitely a gourmet hot chocolate, like all the fun flavors of chocolate, all the bougie marshmallows, absolute heaven. What do you dislike most about your job slash influencing slash fame? My least favorite part of the job, hands down, is that it requires so much interaction with social media, and I can feel the negative impacts of that on my brain in so many different ways. I'm not only scrolling and contributing to having an imbalance of dopamine and hijacking my attention and all of that, but it is also my job. So the people that I am scrolling between are essentially my coworkers, and I can see all of their metrics, and many of them are performing better than me. So I end up not only experiencing these very negative effects of social media that we all have to contend with, but I also often end a scroll session feeling incredibly down on myself. Like, why can this influencer make these great engaging videos and I can't? And even though I know how the sausage is made, I can see behind the scenes with my own life and work and with all of my friends, I still talk myself into thinking that it's so easy and so effortless for them and there must be something wrong with me that it's not so easy and so effortless for me. I feel like an expert at this point in setting boundaries with phones because it is such a huge struggle in this job. I would love to get to a world where I didn't have to create content for social media, where I could just do this podcast and write books and engage with social media in a very limited way as a consumer. That is my absolute dream for my career. But since I am not there yet, I just set incredibly firm boundaries and then I create the situations that make it as easy as possible for me to stick to those boundaries. 
One of the number one things that people get wrong about sticking to habits is relying on their own willpower. Our willpower is no match for something that is designed to be as addictive as our phones or social media. So inevitably, we try to set these limitations, and then we fail, and then we beat ourselves up, and then the cycle starts anew. But it's not our fault at all. What we need isn't more willpower, but a situation set up so that we don't need to exercise willpower in the first place. I plug my phone in at night in the bathroom so I cannot reach for it first thing in the morning. I cannot scroll on it before I go to bed, even though I always really, really, really want to. If I'm trying to do deep work, I don't have my phone on my desk or even in my room. There are actually a ton of studies that show that even a face-down phone is incredibly distracting for our brains, which is also something that I remind myself of when I'm out with friends. My phone is in my purse, out of sight, so I can give them my full attention. You've probably heard me talk about how much I love seed on this podcast a million times, and you have definitely heard me talk about the importance of our microbiome with a ton of our expert guests. I think it's so important to underscore that supporting our microbiomes and taking Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic isn't just for gut health issues. While it definitely helps with issues like bloating and constipation, it's really about supporting your microbiome as a whole. Your entire body is impacted by your microbiome, especially when it comes to fighting illnesses like viral infections and even chronic diseases. And more and more research has come out about the gut-brain connection, which shows that an unbalanced microbiome can slow the production of neurotransmitters and affect many areas of brain function. I think it really helps to view Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic less as something that you take for your gut and more as a multivitamin to support your microbiome, which supports your whole body health. I've worked with Seed for years now, and it's a company whose mission and products are truly top-notch. They are so focused on education and pushing the field of microbiome research forward, and they took all of that research and all of that knowledge and distilled it into their flagship product, the DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. The DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is not just a probiotic. It's a symbiotic, which means it contains both probiotics and prebiotics. The combination is so important. While probiotics are the live beneficial bacteria, prebiotics are actually the food the probiotics need to thrive. Without the prebiotic component, the probiotics that you might be taking, like many of the ones that you can easily pick up at a drugstore, will be undernourished and far less effective. The DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic includes the 24 bacterial strains that are scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. If you want to learn more about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in really digestible, see what we did there, digestible, yeah, in really digestible ways. Taking seed has been a huge part of my personal anxiety journey, and I get DMs from you guys truly on a daily basis about how it's helped with your mental health, your migraines, your chronic bloat, and more. And now they have a PDS-08 pediatric daily symbiotic so kids and teens can experience all of the amazing benefits too. And as if you needed another reason to love seed, their packaging is not only beautiful but sustainable. You can refill the little green glass bottle every month with the pills shipped right to your door in compostable packaging rather than using single-use plastic bottles. If you'd like to try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic or their PDSO-8 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic for kids and teens aged 3 to 17 and see for yourself why I and so many other people in the Liz Moody podcast community love it, I have an amazing discount for you. You can use code LizMoody at Seed.com to get 25% off your first month's supply. Again, that's LizMoody at Seed.com for 25% off. It's no secret that making healthier choices can come at a cost. I'm talking both time and money. So when I find a hack to make healthy living a little bit less of a strain, I get so excited. That is why I absolutely love talking about Thrive Market. Ordering your groceries on Thrive Market saves you time and so much money, plus it makes eating well way simpler. You can do your shopping right on their website and get everything you may need from frozen food to pantry items to cleaning supplies in the comfort of your own home. Say goodbye to going to three different grocery stores to find your favorite non-toxic skincare, your BPA-free parchment paper, and your grass-fed burgers 
Thrive has it all. The process is so easy and they go the extra mile by remembering exactly what you buy so you can easily re-add things to your cart. You can also set up a subscription for any basics that you know you'll be buying every week or month to set it and forget it. There is nothing that I love more than being able to cognitively offload restocking our toilet paper, our protein bars, our olive oil, all of those types of things. Not only do they have a wide selection, but you're going to be saving money on everything too. Being a Thrive Market member means that you get insane deals. On average, you save 30%, 30% each time you make an order. They also guarantee the lowest price on every product that they sell. And if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it, which is absolutely wild. It means this is a no-risk situation. In my last box, I stocked up on the Four Sigmatic Protein Powder, which is one of my favorites. I got Root Beer Olipop, which is the cheapest that I have seen it anywhere. Some Cleveland Kraut, which I eat by the spoonful. It helps with sugar cravings, and it just gets my fermented food dose in. And I saved more than $40 just in that single order. I also love how the shipping is carbon neutral. Everything is carefully vetted for quality of ingredients and sourcing. And their amazing one-for-one membership matching program means that when you sign up for a membership, you are also sponsoring a membership for a family in need, which I just love so much. The Liz Moody Podcast listeners can join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order. That's on top of the amazing savings you already get with your membership, plus a free $60 gift. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash Liz Moody. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Liz Moody for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Join now and start getting your time, money, and energy back today. I also have a tip in my book, which is called Figure Out Your Why. It's about how for any new habit or routine that you are adding to your life, you need to have a why behind it. And that why needs to really resonate with you. It can't be like, because I feel like I should or because I saw an influencer do it. Having a why that truly resonates increases motivation exponentially. And it prevents us from bloating our days and spending a ton of money on habits that might be great for another person but aren't right for us. I find this incredibly helpful when trying to remove something too. Like when I'm trying to eat less dessert, if I have a why that really resonates, like I want to have more energy or I want to live longer, I am far less likely to reach for a second cookie. And if I have a why that doesn't truly hit, like society has told me for years that I need to get skinnier until I basically take up no space at all, I can talk myself out of that second why in a heartbeat. But the first why gives far more motivation because it hits on my values and the things that really matter to me. That's similar with staying off my phone. Zach and I had a long discussion about our whys for seriously limiting social media. We talked about wanting to live experientially ambitious lives and not wanting to be 80 and look back and realize we spent 10 years of our lives just scrolling through bullshit I want to live my own life. I don't want to watch some highly edited version of someone else living their life. So when one of us is in a scroll hole, the other person will gently remind them of that. And that doesn't look like nagging or doing that thing where you've been scrolling for hours next to your partner and you suddenly decide that you're bored. So you set your phone down and then you look over at your partner and you're like, wow, can you get off your phone? You've been scrolling forever, which I am far, far too guilty of. But it looks like in the moments of noticing, just gently saying, are you finding value in this? At the end of the day today, Are you going to feel happy with how you used your time? Or even suggesting something like taking a walk together or watching a movie. Finally, I do try to use social media as positively as possible. I do the figure out your why thing with the content that I do choose to engage with. I'm very, very active with unfollowing and asking myself for every single person on my feed why I'm engaging with their content what the value that I'm hoping it will bring to my life is. And if it's no value or my response is negative, if it stokes jealousy or makes me feel less than, I do try to mute or unfollow. I'm 
ruthless with unfollowing, and I try to intentionally examine my feed at least a few times a month. And there are some incredible benefits to social media too. I love getting to talk to all of you. I love the connections that I've been able to form and the relationships that I've been able to build. I love getting to see what friends that I don't talk to regularly are up to on a day-to-day basis. I love being inspired by people that I would never get to talk to in real life. There's a lot of good there. I also love, love, love this podcast, and I feel eternally grateful and so, so lucky every single day that I found this job that I feel really good at and that I love and that the stars align so that other people loved me doing this job and I actually get to do it for a living. You didn't ask in this question, but the thing that I love most about my job is everything associated with this podcast. I love prepping for the interviews and getting to read all of these books and digest all of this information. I love really exploring every nook and cranny of my curiosity and trying to figure out the best questions to ask these world-class experts in the limited time that I have with them. I love that I get to sit down and ask questions to all of these incredible people And if I'm going to be incredibly honest, just because you asked about the fame part, I like that element. I am a Leo after all, and I'm not famous famous, obviously, but like getting to do my one-woman show on book tour, getting to speak with and engage with these incredible crowds, that was so fun. I also get recognized fairly frequently in public at this point, but it still tickles me every single time, especially because all of you are so nice and so cool and so fun to talk to. But it is a wild experience. And while I'm sure it gets old for someone like Taylor Swift, it is still just insane and surreal for me. And I love, 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 like genuinely my favorite thing in the world is when you all use this podcast as an excuse to get together and make friends with each other in real life with the podcast clubs. You can find one near you by going to lizmoody.com slash club. We have them in 33 cities around the world now, but the stories that I hear from those makes me so happy. Like two women who met in one of the clubs went on vacation together. And it's just like, isn't that what we all want? real life connection and that my job can even facilitate that, can even be an excuse for that. It is the best feeling in the entire world and I am so, so grateful for it. Okay, let's do how do you cope with job loss? So I have never been fired But my first job out of college was for a startup that ended up running out of money, and I've also lost tons of opportunities throughout my life, like the first time that I got an agent for a book that I wrote and I thought I'd be able to quit my 9 to 5 and be a full-time writer, which is not actually even true for many of the successful writers that I know. But at the time, I didn't even know enough about the whole field of publishing to know that. But then my book didn't even end up selling, so I got no money and I kept going in my 9 to 5. And I will say two things. One is that there is obviously an economic component to this, and my best advice there is to plan ahead of time. In an ideal world, you are not coming up with solutions to economic problems caused by a job loss when you've lost a job. You are preparing for them ahead of time. And I know that is easier said than done, and it is rough out there financially. But anything that you can do to set aside four to six months of living expenses so you have that cushion just in case is so, so helpful from a sheer pragmatic perspective and also just a peace of mind mental health perspective. And again, I know that is not feasible for everyone. But I also have a friend who says that's not feasible for her, and I just talked her out of buying a $200 purse because it was on sale from $400. So it might be more feasible than it initially sounds. And of course, for some people, it's simply not feasible at all, and I get that, and that is just incredibly tough, and I'm sorry. The second thing that I will say is that Every time it's happened, when my company dissolved, when I got an agent and then the book didn't end up selling, which 
by the way, happened not just once, but multiple times with multiple agents. Every time that happened, I was devastated. It felt like all of my dreams for my future had dissolved, like the entire path I had laid out for myself, which felt like the only path toward happiness and success, had just disappeared. If someone asked me to brainstorm an alternative future where I was happy and things worked out at any of those points, I wouldn't have been able to. Like, my mind just refused to do it, which is why it is so important for me to say to you now, I am happy. Things did work out and in such amazing and different ways than I could have ever dreamed of. I'm actually so glad that I'm not a novelist, which was always my dream job, and I love my life path now so much more, which is doing a career that I couldn't have as a dream job as a kid because it literally didn't exist. And I know you might not be able to picture a future where it all works out better than you could hope for from where you're sitting right now, but you don't need to. A completely different version of you with a different perspective and a different set of dreams and goals and abilities living in a completely different world is going to be able to picture it and is going to be able to live it. So whatever you can do to keep that faith and hope alive and whatever you can do to keep moving, even if it's muddling, even if you take a few steps one way and you realize it's the wrong way, and then you go in a different direction entirely, that movement is going to give you such valuable information. So I would say, plan ahead if you can, find faith and hope for the future, and then just don't get stuck. It's better to move in the wrong direction, learn, and make little corrections based on those learnings than to not move at all. And I'm sending you so much love. Job losses are destabilizing and uncertainty is scary. This is something that I have been reminding myself a lot lately. I used to try to make the world certain. Like I'd be jealous of friends with fancy tech jobs because those jobs felt safer than my weird influencer job where the algorithm could turn against me at any time or people could lose interest in what I have to say. But then there were these huge tech layoffs and I was like, oh, there's no such thing as certain. Trying to make the world certain is a losing game. Instead, I've been trying to build my ability to deal with the discomfort of uncertainty. Instead of the question being, how can I avoid uncertainty? The question has become, if uncertainty is inevitable, how can I build my resilience to that? I've been doing the resilience practice for my book, which is essentially just reminding yourself of the times in the past that you've dealt with trying things and come through the other side. The idea with that practice is strengthening the mental pathway that thinks, I have been resilient before. I can be resilient again. I also love reading books and watching movies about characters showcasing incredible amounts of resilience, especially if they're based on true stories. How can I build my resilience to uncertainty? It's worth thinking about what the answer for that for you is. Okay, what are the cutest affordable housewarming gifts that you like? I mean, I have to shout out my conversation card company because I truly do think a deck of conversation starter cards is the best housewarming gift. I keep a bunch of the original deck, which is the Healthier Together one, on hand for that exact purpose. And just as a host gift in general, it's fun because you can open it the evening that you're invited over and then you can have all of these amazing conversations all night. So you're reaping the benefits right away. We have four decks and you can find them all at healthyconvo.co. But I think the original is hands down the best for that type of thing. I also love plants, especially if you've already found a cute planter for them that really matches the person's style that you are gifting them to so they don't have to do any work. I also love finding a cafe in their neighborhood and getting a $10 gift card to it so they have an excuse to get out and explore their local spots. Or you can bring pastries from a local pastry shop. So again, they can be like, wow, these are really delicious and get really excited about where they're living. 
I think those are my go-tos. I hope that helps. Okay. How much money can you spend without consulting with Zach? $500 is our agreed upon amount, but honestly, we talk about most things that we buy and we tend to support each other's spending because even if we don't get the thing, we get the value beneath it. Like the number one thing that he spends money on is skiing. And I do not understand the joy that he gets from shopping for ski gear. And sometimes I hear the numbers and I choke a little bit, but it is one of his biggest passions. And ultimately, I love that he's found something that he loves so much. And then I don't buy much in terms of stuff. I tend to spend far, far more on experiences like concert or magic show tickets or trips. And even if he's not coming with me and directly benefiting from that, he knows that a huge part of my values is living an experientially rich life. So he really supports that. That's a really interesting question. I'm curious what your number is with your partner or if you have a set number that you've discussed. So DM me and let me know. What are your favorite holiday traditions? I do not have many. I was raised Jewish on my mom's side, and then my dad's side was not religious at all, but we celebrated Christmas just to feel like part of the cultural zeitgeist. And as an adult, I have started making latkes and doing at least one night where we celebrate Hanukkah, even though within the Jewish tradition, it's actually not one of the big deal holidays. But I'm a huge, huge fan of all things potato, and latkes are at least in the top three of ways to prepare potatoes, which says a lot because there are a lot of amazing and delicious ways to prepare potatoes. So I am a big fan of that. I like mine with lots of applesauce and salt and pepper and no sour cream. And then on my dad's side, we had a pretty tumultuous home because my stepmom and my dad essentially hated each other, but they refused to get divorced. They got divorced later. But my stepmom was not a huge fan of me either, and often Christmas would end in tears or screaming blowout fights or silently retreating to our rooms. But the one tradition that we always did was decorating gingerbread cookies. My stepmom and I would essentially call truce, even though we never talked about this, and my sisters, who are her daughters with my dad, and I would take it super, super seriously and make these works of art, and I just loved it. So in my adult life, every single year, I think, I can't think of one that I have missed, actually. I have tried to bring in that tradition. I involve my nieces, Zach's sister's kids in it now, too. I make the cookies. I have the best gingerbread cookie recipe on my site, by the way. Just search Liz Moody gingerbread and it'll come up. And then I set out all of the sprinkles and frosting and my sisters usually come to that too. So it's been an incredibly lovely tradition to get to uphold and a nice way to tap into one of those nice moments in my childhood. And more recently, I would say, I've just also started to lean into the holidays. Like a themed bar, I'm into it. Drinking hot cocoa and looking at the lights, I love it. I watch every single holiday movie that I can get my hands on, and I went to SantaCon this year, and I did it sober, which is how much I love the merriment of the holidays. I used to be far more of like a what's the point of all of this person, but now I'm like the point is the merriment. And that's what's beautiful about it. We do far too few things in this world just for the delight of it. And I am just a huge fan of anything and everything that can add delight to my life. That's the advice that I would give for anyone with holiday things. If it adds delight, go all in. But also, really take inventory and ask if it adds delight. One of my biggest themes in life is questioning the shoulds. And holidays have a lot of bullshit shoulds. If decorating your house with seasonal pillows and candles brings you delight, lean all in. But if it feels stressful, skip it. I don't do any decorations and I'm A-okay with that. But I love my friends who find joy in that. But no one is going to come to your house and say like, wow, you don't have any pillows with wreaths on them in here. What kind of heathen are you? It is for you. So either make it for you or don't do it. And that extends to things that you are doing for you via your family as well. We tend to do all of these things to make sure that our kids or parents or partner or whomever has a magical holiday. 
often without stopping and asking if the things that we're doing are actually what would make it magical for them or if us being stressed about doing those things detracts from whatever magic is there. Just some things to think about. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody. Ever since our episode with Priya Parker on how to host the most incredible, meaningful get-togethers, I've been so conscious of how I host my own parties and events. I'm always looking for the best tips and hosting hacks to make every event super special, memorable, and fun for everyone. So I am working with Athletic Brewing Company to share some holiday hosting hacks. One of my best tips is that you definitely want to have multiple snack areas set up around your space. This one comes from the Charisma episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. Research shows that at gatherings, people hang out where the food is, and that's where they're likely to strike up conversations. So you want to create as many opportunities as possible for that to happen. Another amazing hack, serve up delicious athletic brewing non-alcoholic beers and skip the hangover. I love having these at parties so that anybody who is sober or just not feeling like drinking at the moment knows that they were considered in the planning process and has something tasty to drink all night. It is a win-win. A good host offers variety, and Athletic Brewing has so many craft brews from IPAs, extra dark brews, sours, hazies, and many more. Zach has been a beer guy for years. Like, he goes to breweries, he does tastings, and he loves Athletic Brewing. The Run Wild IPA is Zach's favorite. He says it is the perfect, crisp, refreshing IPA. It's hearty without being heavy. We always have them on hand because even the action of cracking one open after work is such a signal that the day is over and it's so nice. I also love the Wits Peak, which is a Belgian-style white beer. That one is only available online, but do not worry because I have a code for you. Use Liz M to get 15% off your first order at athleticbrewing.com. You can check out all of their online exclusives and stock up. That's code L-I-Z-M at checkout for 15% off your first order. 
Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. What is your favorite holiday movie? Ooh, this is so hard to pick. I would say Elf and The Holiday are probably my top two. I also love Love Actually, but the older that I've gotten, the more parts of it annoy me. Like the whole Natalie being fat storyline and them making it the only thing that people talk about and a legitimate reason for Hugh Grant to not fall in love with her would not be acceptable under any circumstances. Like what a horrible message about what body types deserve love. But also she has an incredibly normal body, like a body that would be considered thin anywhere outside of that movie. And that makes me reflect on the insane messages that my teenage years were steeped in about what my body was supposed to look like and my general purpose and role in the world. And then I get angry. And the Colin Firth storyline, it used to be one of my favorites, but now I'm like, you have not had a conversation with this woman and you are proposing marriage? You know nothing about her. And like the guy who goes and actively tells his best friend's wife that he is in love with her, that is not a good friend move. That is not romantic. But also the cute drumming kid, Mariah Carey song is so good. And Emma Thompson crying to Joni Mitchell is just the most heart-wrenching and beautiful scene. So I still watch it every year and I still cry every year. I also love the really cheesy Christmas movies, which are varying levels of good. Like my girlfriends and I made an event of watching The Princess Switch with Vanessa Hudgens. And it's two sequels, which were definitely like so bad it's good vibes. I also like the Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds one that was a musical. It was definitely not a good movie, but a highly enjoyable one. I thought that Love Hard, which was the Nina Dobrev holiday movie, was actually really cute. Again, not a quote-unquote great piece of cinema, but highly, highly enjoyable. What is your favorite Taylor Swift album? Folklore followed very closely by reputation. I just think Folklore is a piece of art, and it came out when I didn't dare hope for music, but I needed it so much, and it holds such a special place in my heart. Did you buy a house? Did I miss the announcement? We did not buy a house, but we rented one. We signed a 12-month lease in the Bay Area, and I did an Instagram post about this, but it is so interesting. We have literally run the numbers. Like, straightforwardly, we did the math and we modeled it all out, which I highly recommend everyone do when they're deciding whether to rent or buy, and we will make more money in the long run by renting and investing our down payment money into the market. And there are parts of renting that are really, really appealing to me, especially coming off of Nomad Life. Like we were talking about earlier, it is so much less of a commitment. So if there is something that I don't like, I can tell myself that I can get out of it in a year, which is really, really helpful for my anxiety. But even knowing all of that, there's this part of me that felt bad every time someone would DM and ask me if I bought a house. I truly know that no one meant any harm by it, and that, in fact, most of the people asking were just excited for me. But because of my own sensitivities, it felt like it was subtly implying that I should be buying a house at this point in my life because no one was asking if I rented. It was like, oh, if you are staying in one place and you're at this age and you're at this level of success, you must be buying. And I think it's an interesting example of how our word choices and the way that we phrase things all play into pushing people down a certain life path and making people feel like they have made the wrong choice if they decide to deviate from that path. I find it happens a lot with having kids too. There are just a lot of subtle ways we imply that the normal path is to have kids. And if you deviate from that, you're in the wrong. And of course, all of this is complicated by the fact that for years there have been fewer choices and more people in the world have tended toward a certain path. So in a sense, by making different choices, you are deviating, in fact. But pointing that out or making someone feel in the wrong for it 
doesn't encourage us to make choices that do buck the norm, even if they are right for us. And that's what matters, right? If buying is right for you, amazing. Renting is right for me right now. If having a kid is right for you, if having four kids or 10 kids is right for you, amazing. If not having a kid is right for you, amazing as well. What did you study in college? I went to Berkeley and I made my own major, which I called Cultural Representation of Personality in Narrative, which I am well aware is the most stereotypically Berkeley-sounding thing on the planet. The idea was to study psychology and creative writing so I could learn about the way that people's brains worked in a way that allowed me to better represent them in my fiction, and it was such a fun way to have a Berkeley experience. It's this huge public school, obviously, and there are so many great things about that, including the fact that it doesn't have private school tuition. But one of the downsides is that many, many of the classes are 300, 400-person lectures, and you can go through your entire college experience getting very little personal attention from professors. But by making my own major, I got to exercise a lot more choice over my classes, so I ended up in these tiny seminars like 10, 14 people, both on the writing side and on the psychology side. And we'd read these incredible books and studies and articles, and then we would have these intense, passionate, amazing discussions about them. I was super close to a number of my professors because, again, I was in these tiny, tiny classes with them, and it was just a really special way to experience Berkeley, and I feel really, really lucky for it, especially since I very much did not know that that was the upside when I chose to make my own major. In fact, I did not understand most things about college when I got there. I took a gap semester and I was backpacking around Europe before coming to Cal. And I remember sitting at a computer in Amsterdam. I was trying to figure out how to sign up for classes and what classes I needed to sign up for and being like, how am I supposed to know these things? Like, did someone else get a pamphlet that I missed out on? So I feel very, very lucky that it all ended up working out. Do you take anything to be regular while traveling? And then in parentheticals, it says bathroom. This isn't quite holiday themed, but also it's appropriate for this time of the year because so many of us are obviously traveling. Also, I love a good festive poop conversation. The biggest thing that I do when traveling to stay regular is I drink a ton of water. I am consciously aware of it in a way that I am not at home, and I do think that it makes a huge difference. I first unlocked this when I was in the mountains in Colorado, and I was chugging water to avoid altitude sickness, and it was one of the first vacations that I took where I did not get constipated at all, and I've been doing it ever since, and I haven't been constipated since, but to be fair, I've also added in other things. I also try to move as much as possible. Lack of exercise is highly correlated with constipation. So I'm trying to go to the hotel gym to do hotel room workouts, to walk as much as possible, et cetera. Any roughage I can eat, I am doing it. Salads, any veggies, any fiber in any form helps so much. I also do my electrolyte chia fresca drink, which I love because everything in it is pantry stable, so you don't need a fridge. And you get the fiber from the chia and the hydration from the electrolytes, which also makes it taste really good. To make that, you just add a heaping spoonful or two of chia seeds and then a scoop of your favorite electrolyte powder to a glass of water. You stir, you let it sit for at least 10 minutes or until the chia seeds become sort of slimy and hydrated, and then you drink it all down. I don't mind it at all. I like the flavor. It just tastes like the electrolyte powder and then it has some texture and it makes the biggest difference for constipation. It's also a nice little snack to tide you over between meals, which is nice because I feel like I am always finding myself in hangry situations when I'm traveling. And I will say that it helps on the other end too. Like if you are constipated, it's great. And if you are the opposite of constipated, it is also great. 
And then I bring my magnesium citrate in case nothing else works because that is the tried and true remedy that doctors on the pod recommend. Magnesium glycinate is the one that helps with anxiety, migraines, muscle cramps, stuff like that. And I always travel with it for that reason. But citrate is the one that helps with constipation. And that is essentially because it's absorbed less well in your body. So instead of serving the functions in your body, of your body utilizing the magnesium, you get rid of it and thus you poop. Let's end on what makes you jealous and how do you cope with it? People who are more successful in their careers than me is hands down my biggest jealousy trigger. I'm working on this in therapy but I was definitely raised to believe my value came from my success, like making good grades or doing well in sports or even relational success, like being a charming conversationalist. I never thought I had value simply by being, simply because I existed and that inherently gave me value. So I have spent my life trying to earn and prove value and – That hasn't been great for my mental health. So I am attacking my jealousy in a two-pronged way. One, by trying to really reinforce that notion that I have value simply by being, which is something that Zach's been really helpful with. I'll say something like, wow, I planned such a nice vacation for us. You must really love me. And I mean it as a joke, but also kind of not. And since we've talked about this stuff, Zach started saying something like, I love this vacation and I appreciate you planning it, but it's not why I love you. I love you for being you. And it feels maybe cheesy or not that big of a deal, but it is so helpful. I always say relational bonds heal relational wounds and it is so true. And I try to do that with my self-talk too. It shows up in insidious ways like, I deserve to have days where I rest and enjoy it, which means I must have value when I'm not being productive, which is a message that I am truly working to believe. So for me, when I rest, it is a practice. It is a radical act. And I know the more I do it, the better I will get at it. And then two, I try to use the people I'm jealous of in a career setting as inspiration and as pragmatically as possible as information. What specific steps did they take to get where they are? What can I do to emulate that? And also, do I even want that? Sometimes I'll find myself getting jealous and then I'll picture the actual life that person has or all of the things that come with the thing that I'm jealous of and be like, oh wait, that is not of interest to me at all. It's really helpful to put on my detective hat and explore the nuances of whatever I'm jealous of. I used to be such a jealous girlfriend too. It's funny how much that's gone away over the years. Zach and I have almost 15 years under our belt and it just feels like any other interaction he's going to have with anyone pales so much in comparison to the intimacy that we've built over that time. It's funny, if you told me 10 years ago, I wouldn't be jealous of his exes or his work colleagues or whatever, I'm not sure that I would have believed you. But now I truly could not care less. And he has tons of female friends, which I love, and many of whom I am friends with too. And he's in touch with a number of his exes, many of whom I also love, and it's just not an issue whatsoever. Okay, I think that is all that we have time for today. I hope that you love this episode. Let me know if you want me to do more Ask Me Anything style episodes if you like this type of thing. If anything in here resonated with you and you think it would resonate with a friend or family member, please send them a link. Sharing is the best way to support the podcast, and it is so, so appreciated. And if you want a last-minute holiday present, be sure to check out 100waystochangeyourlife.com. If you buy a copy of my book anywhere, you can send a receipt to promo, P-R-O-M-O, at lizmoody.com, and I will send you a signed book plate so you can give an extra good gift. Just say the name of the recipient and any special message that you want. Or you can go to healthyconvo.co. We have signed copies of the book that say XO Liz Moody on them there, and you can pick up 
any of our conversation starter decks, which make an excellent holiday present. Right now is a special holiday promo. If you buy three of any of the decks, you get one absolutely free. So you can sort out all of your friends and your family and your coworkers in one go. We have one more episode of the podcast left this year, an advice episode with a very special guest. That'll be out next Monday. And then we have already recorded some of my favorite episodes ever to kick off 2024. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't yet followed the podcast, you're going to want to go to the main podcast page. That is the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes, and you'll see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. That way, new episodes will show up right in your feed. We have a whole game plan for the best 2024 ever coming out on January 3rd. Episodes about eliminating cravings, identifying and dealing with narcissists, completely changing our relationships with our bodies, some very exciting celeb guests, and much, much more. So be sure that you're following so you do not miss out. Okay, I love you. I loved hanging out with you today. And I will see you next Monday for the next episode of the Liz Moody Podcast. I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross, fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to puri.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody.